Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Exclusively on CBS All Access, a legend returns. I have a mission. There's not a hell of a chance for somebody to stop me. Patrick Stewart in Star Trek Picard. Now streaming only on CBS All Access. Welcome to the Star Trek Picard Podcast. I'm Dominic Patton, Senior Editor and Chief TV Critic for Deadline Hollywood. And we're now at Episode 8 of Star Trek Picard, Broken Pieces, which dropped just earlier today on CBS All Access. Now, as I like to say every week, if you're looking for a recap here in our podcast, look somewhere else. There's going to be lots of spoilers. We're going to talk about what went down. But if you want to know what went down, I suggest you watch the episode and come back to us later. And you're going to want to come back to us later because, once again, we have showrunner Michael Shavon, who wrote all of today's episode, as well as joining us again, wonderfully so, is VFX supervisor Jason Zimmerman. That's a hell of a report. And you thought I was a desperate old man, quixotic, paranoid, possibly senile. Let's just leave it at quixotic. And now the windmills have turned out to be giants. You want an apology? I want a squadron. Jean-Luc? Clancy. Out there in the Vite system, right now, beings who have as much right to life and liberty as you and I, or Commander Data, are being hunted down by an enemy who seeks to exterminate them. Jean-Luc! No, Clancy, if you say this is not a job for Starfleet, then I'm sorry, but you are a waste of space. So today's episode of our podcast is talking about today's uh, just recently dropped episode of Star Trek Picard, episode eight, Broken Pieces, which is written entirely by showrunner Michael Shavon. So, Michael, thank you for joining us once again. I'm happy to uh, be here. Whenever, you, but this clearly is not the penultimate episode, but we're right on the cusp. In a sense, it is in that nine and ten are really one two-part episode. Okay, well, thank so you. It you would just actually, stole that from me and took it a whole other be, place. It'd be fair to say that it is the penultimate episode in, in a sense. And so what does that entail for you as a showrunner and as the writer of this episode? I, I mean, I think the main thing was, you know, there's been this mystery um, that has been set in motion from the first episode about initially like who is Dodge and and what is she doing and why was she killed and 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 you find out what well, the Romulans are involved and why are the Romulans involved and what are they up to and what was Bruce Maddox's role in it and why what does it have to do with the ban on synthetics and the attack on Mars and 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 that was a I want to stop there because that was a very well played out reveal you know we we've had so much so much of the sense of that because this is this, this poignant, pivotal thing that happened with the attack on Mars and how it kind of sets the stakes and sets the foundation for so much of the story. Now we're getting a sense of uh, the uh, almost the intergalactic politics. Right, it. right. So what we knew was 
going in and just even in thinking or planning for the end of the season, we knew we didn't want the end of the season to be the explanation of the mystery. But we, That's interesting. We Why? wanted the end of the season to be the the results of the discovery of the truth about the the mystery. So the the primary, this fundamental role of episode uh, one hundred and eight is to explain and to finally discover the truth about what happened and why it happened and how it happened and what the role of of, uh, of Soji and her dead sister were in all of it and to have Soji learn that and and, it, and in making that discovery you know that is Soji's purpose that's what she was created for so in it's a kind of fulfillment a kind of culmination of her mission um, and we sort of also then realized we kind of wanted to have we had all these other emotional arcs in play we had Rafis and and uh, Gerardis and Rioses and those all felt like they should be they should settle in a certain place of resolution so that when we go into the two part final episode if you will um, the focus is going to be entirely on um, uh resolving the plot and in resolving ultimately the story of Picard for this season and getting and so that the focus can be entirely on Picard and Soji, their relationship and um, what happens once you know what has been going on and, and where does that lead everyone. Now, it's a natural question to ask for a series that's been renewed is are you going to be throwing out some seeds in this two part finale for where we're going to be going in season two? I think so. I think that'd be fair to say. Is that now, you know, different people, different showrunners, different producers, uh, writers and directors have different ideas about that. Some people say, you know what, you should just kind of have your story and then the next season is another story. It's almost like a novel in a sense. Like uh, maybe you will tell me differently of all the people I could ask this to, but very few people write a novel with the intent of I'm going to have a sequel mm-hmm. to my novel. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe you're George R.R. R. Martin, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's the sure. point. But that's a very select type. Why did you did you guys talk a little bit? Well, about that? I mean, I think it really depends on the show and the kind of show and the kind of stories you're telling. I mean, if you look at a show like Fargo, for example, those those seasons are, are completely each one's in a bottle with regard to the others. Um, you know, that makes sense for that show. Um, each each season of that is seemingly designed to be a completely freestanding, um, multi part uh, story. Um, you know, that's not the case with. Um, this show and I think we felt really strongly just as in a way it's just a it's just a larger version of serialized storytelling like each you know with serialized storytelling each episode builds on the one that came before and you wouldn't want to watch an episode of like say episode seven of a of a serialized story and have nothing that happened before matter to what's happening in episode seven you know, that, some people do that conceit of the standalone episode. yes i mean to a degree but you yeah. don't want to feel like it's completely unrelated in, in every way that would be a little bizarre so uh you know i think in this we, we i think we all felt pretty strongly we all feel looking ahead to season two we don't want to feel like you watched all of season one you got attached to these characters you got invested in what the relationships are or might be to each other um and then we're just sort of you know like shaking the etch a sketch and and starting all over again and none of that mattered um, i'm sorry i'm already stuck on the etch a sketch reference yeah, you remember nice, those that, oh, oh, nicely done age ourselves well there my friend <laughs> nicely done um jason there are 
a number of a number of challenges, and we've talked about this before, about creating a show like Picard and and the the visual look of it. This episode it has a very particular look and a very particular strand in which it it, it tries to show the sense of this as an intergalactic uh, being. I want to get an idea from you: is how did you develop the look you wanted here? Of course, we have the the mini collective, we have the drones, we have this thing. How you and the DOP uh, did you work together and find the shaping of this? Oh, for sure. I mean, we, it's, you know, like Michael's alluded to, it, it's definitely a collaborative process. So, I mean, you know, production design, director photography, what we all sit down and when the script comes out, we talk about what does this want to be? What does this want to look like? Um, you know, the, the director photography is always so instrumental in setting the tone for things. And, and it's our job to then follow that, right? Because the, the best that, that we can do is to, you know, honor the lighting and the intent of the shot as it's, you know, supposed to play. And so I think, you know, yeah, we, we, we definitely sat down and had a lot of conversations about, you know, tonally, what is the lighting like in the cube, for instance? What does that look like? What does it look like when you're in close quarters, when you're in, you know, a large cavernous space? And so, uh, you know, we definitely talked about that. And, and, you know, along the way, there was a lot of, you know, great, I think, concept work done by production design to sort of help us inform us and set us off on the right foot. I mean, I think it also would be worth mentioning um, Doug Arniakoski, who's the producing director of the show, which for sure means that he is this ultimately sort of just as the showrunner is responsible for the for watching and maintaining the tone of the of the writing across all the episodes it seems to me maybe i'm wrong about this but it's the job of the producing director at least the way doug did it to sort of keep his eye on the tone of the visual tone of the and coordinate with the directors and the assistant directors and the effects and production design and all that to make sure and he would be in there in every production meeting Doug bearing down and just getting the writers to say what we meant what we intended what should it look like how many are there is the light what do you is think is that a difficult process sometimes if you're like yeah you know there's this thing and they attack and there's a lot of them yeah, and, and he's like but what does that mean well Michael? the important part is to that he's making that liaison he's bringing it so that Jason can hear so that the production designer can hear so that and then that they can ask questions like wait oh I didn't quite get that like you know, so then let me ask and, and, and if you can't remember it's totally fair what were some of the questions you asked for for broken pieces when presented with the script and it's a let's say close to finished form and i don't i can't remember that there are any in particular questions necessarily i mean you know like he alludes to doug is very good at bringing up the question a lot of i've worked with doug for many years since before track times and that's he a knows, very interesting term, track time. Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that your autobiography? Yes. Track time. Yes. And the road down yeah, well traveled. Um, and so he and I have a shorthand, I think, um, that works really well. And I think he part of it is he can just read the expression on my face. And, <laughs> yes. No, we should go, hold on, guys. Jason's yeah. grimacing. We should ask him what that means. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But he, he knows and he also knows visual effects and production really well just in general. Um, so having him on board for any episode is great, and he's there the whole time. So it's, it's should get him on the show. Yeah, he, he's he's a great liaison. Are you booking our show now? I mean, you come over here. Somebody has to. You're show running our show now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you stick to your side of that fence, there, Mister. I'm just. Oh my God. You know, if I, I ever win, a, if I ever win a, a big prize, I'd be like, I like to not thank Michael. Anything to do with this? Hey, I just call him like I see. Him. I see you do, my friend. I see you do. Okay, so then, Jason, to that end. And, and again, not to put you on the spot, but I am going to put you on the spot. What was your biggest challenge for episode eight? And what was the thing that you're most proud of coming out of episode eight? Man, I'm going to sound like a broken record. Borg cube again. Um, the, the bodies, the Borg bodies being jettisoned um, mm. is I, some of my favorite shots of the season. Uh, it's we, one of our favorite vendors that we got to work with. And we really got to spend a lot of time just sort of dialing those in. And I think it's a really, really fun, exciting, cool and, sequence. And, uh, but, and now, visual effects. At least. I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, it's great. 
But it's your perspective is so different than mine and, and, and many other viewers. It's like, what is it about that that you're like? Was it because you, I know you've talked about like it, there's the little details. It's not like just the big shot, but there's like the slightly askew thing in the background that you're like, that gives you a yeah. full palette. I, what was there here? I, I think those shots in particular were actually very, very scopey. I mean, they were very, very big shots. They were shot against a blue screen almost entirely, you know, in, in one direction. So um, I, I think building that part of the cube, again, it's a cube interior, but seeing it from that perspective um, and then making, again, the challenge is always the, the size of something like that. You really, it's one of those things. I mean, if you've ever been to, you know, like Yosemite or something, it's not, you, you can look at a picture, but until you're standing below Half Dome, you don't realize how massive that is. And so I think- Mount Rushmore. Yeah, any, any, any of that big stuff. The mountains in Jordan when we shot there. I mean, every, there's, there's, there's something about being there and trying to translate that into a shot and into a show so that people look at it and go like, oh my God, look how big that is. And look at the scope and the scale. And, and so when you see the bodies coming out, you get a sense of like how many bodies that is. You know what I mean? That, that is building that scope and scale that helps tell that moment at that point in the story is, is really, really challenging, but also- awesome when you see it on the big screen so your memories your history to you feel like incidents you heard about something that happened to someone else yes you feel that you don't have a past anymore because i don't oh that's not true you have a past you have a story just waiting to be claimed you're talking about data among other things, yes. All right. Tell me about Data. What was he like? Well, Data was brave, curious, very gentle. He had a child's wisdom, unclouded by habit or bias. He made us all laugh. Except when he was trying to make us laugh. Now, Michael, you know, part of what we, we learn in this episode is Jerry Ryan is back at Seven of Nine. Pit, like, incredibly back. Like, back and blazing. And we learn more about the killing of Bruce Maddox. Um, in looking at, at, the, at the, the narrative arc that you guys have laid out... Um, how much of that was was where you wanted to be by now? And, and maybe I need to back up a little bit. In conversations that I've had with you and with Alex and I keep another, everyone has talked about like, you know, we had this idea for the show and then this stuff happened. We're like, oh, no, we're going to move this to yeah. three from four. And now this person's available and we're going to put them here. And, you know, they're bringing Jonathan Franks on screen and direct. Like there was you guys were, were fluid. There was a little bit of jazz going on here, for mm -hmm. lack of a better yes. way of putting it. Right. Yep. So in terms of that. Knowing that and knowing that that's been part of the creative process and everyone's embraced it. And I think I think it's been a good embrace because I think it's worked. It's given this this show a, a lifeblood that some shows you can kind of tell they're like, oh, that was definitely written before this happened. And why didn't they fix that? Because it doesn't seem to work anymore. How is this episode and those, those revelations and we learn more about the Mars attack, et cetera, et cetera. How much of that is part of how you saw this and how it got there? Um, Very long question. That's not even a question. I think it's like, like a Castro speech. Uh, in 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 its particulars, it changed a lot over the course of the writing and then into production. And like I said, like we didn't really at some point I said told you that we we didn't really know that uh, Peyton Liss was going to be playing such an active role in the story. So in particulars, in terms of like uh, how you get from step seven to step eight in the particulars 
episode. Um, those kind of things change. But the idea of the why of it all, the underlying politics, as you called it, the underlying, um, the history that played into the way that people, the way the Federation responded, the way that it did, the way the Romulans were doing, the reason the Romulans were doing what they did. We made adjustments over the course of this season. We got deeper understanding sometimes and things would emerge from, um, you know, some something that would appear in script four or five that, you know, all you start with is an outline and the outline is stuff happening. And it might even say things like, you know, uh, even if it's, even if you're planning for an emotional scene between two characters, it'll just say, you know, Picard confesses his doubts to Riker, something like that, let's say. Well, what does that mean? When you're writing that scene and Picard and Riker are talking to each other, you might, you know, two o'clock in the morning when I'm writing, something emerges from Picard's mouth or Riker says something back to Picard that you, that you couldn't have known was going to be part of your story until you got to it, until that moment happened. And there you have this, you're, you are, as if you're doing it properly, you're vividly imagining two real people having a real conversation. That can't happen in an outline. That can't happen in the room. It can only happen on the page. And certain things would emerge on the page and things characters said or did to each other or for each other that then had a, a bigger ripple effect on the overall plot that we would have to go back and tinker or maybe change a line in ADR in an earlier episode because something that seemed like it was important is no longer important or vice versa. Um, but, uh, but overall, in terms of what was supposed to happen in this episode, it's essentially the things that we always imagined would be happening. In Did you view this because you've talked about the episodes nine and 10 being kind of two part finale. Do you view episode eight as a, do you view broken pieces as a trend, uh, sort of uh, transitional episode or how? From no, not at all. I think I see it as a kind of culminating episode, not in the sense of like culminations that seems to imply the last, but um, it's the, it's an episode ideally where all the threads are gathered right where all the all the broken pieces are, uh-huh. are put on the table so what you did there and you begin to put them together <laughs> glue them you know they're they're ready you have them all you know the cup got dropped on the floor it broke you go down your hands and knees and you start picking up the pieces and you lay them on the table and, and ask yourself can we actually glue these back together somehow so i think you know it in that sense maybe transitional um is a fair description, but it actually felt like more like we finally got to the top of the hill and now we jump on the sled to go for the downhill. So going into that, going into nine and 10, mm-hmm. how is this going to work? And again, I, I, I don't want you to give me any spoilers. Well, when we get to those weeks, we'll talk about those episodes. But if you're setting it up like that, two part finales, very kind of sometimes a very traditional television approach, but also very untraditional when you look at it, how you there's so much resolution that's happened here with, with eight and, and um, revelation. <laughs> revelation. Yeah. So so how how will that work going into those last two episodes? How will how will that sled go down the hill? Really fast, I hope. And and fun. You're not gonna let go of the movie. <laughs> you brought it back up. Again. <laughs> you brought it up. But <laughs> we could have just let it die. But you had to, you know. I never. Who would ever want to let a good metaphor die? I mean, really, you put it in your back pocket forever. Somehow, rosebud. Right. One way or another, it comes up again. An aspect of of, of this episode, which again I'll mention that Michael wrote solo, is you have a real sense of the full bench of your cast here. 
clearly the show's called Picard, and clearly every, a, a lot of people showed up because they want to see Sir Patrick play Jean-Luc again. Right. And over this, you have been, you've been embedding and weaving in new characters, old characters, return characters, cameos, innuendos, et cetera, et cetera. But I felt like, especially Michelle Hurd, I felt in this episode, and I think Michelle Hurd's been great over the entire season, but I really felt in this episode, you sort of saw Raffi as more knowing than you expected. Yes. She's like, ah, see? Not crazy lady in the desert. Right. It's like, there is something going on right. here. Right, right. I mean, yeah, that, I think it's, um, it's a 10-episode arc. And, you know, especially, it, it can be tricky, especially when you're used to watching Star Trek that is episodic. It, uh, you know, with a few, with the exceptions of the episodes of Deep Space Nine that were multi-part epics, which was really radical at that time. I mean, obviously, Discovery has been serialized, but when, but still, I think deep down inside, we have this habit, if you love Star Trek, this ingrained habit of expecting what's wrong with the character, if there's something wrong with the character at the beginning of the episode, to be fixed by the end of the episode. Um, and you know, that can't happen and it shouldn't happen in, in serialized storytelling. So with Rafi, we always planned to redeem her. Like, we always planned to get Rafi to, to, that when you see Rafi first, she's at her lowest. And we, and, and the point of this whole season from Rafi, from the point of view of Rafi's character is to get Rafi back up on her two feet and functioning again in the way that she's capable of functioning um so you know i I think in some ways uh it's a it's almost like a tribute to what a good actor michelle heard is that she sort of fools you so well into thinking that rafi's a total basket case um early on that it almost comes as a kind of a little bit of a surprise to see her fully restored to her true rafi self although you got a taste of it in that flashback to to uh, episode three, yeah, uh, it, when, it, at the top of episode three, where you see the prime Rafi at her peak, having not yet encountered defeat and disappointment. Now, you know, is that for that? I mean, flashbacks are a necessary part of telling a story like this, unless you just want to do the voiceover part of mm-hmm. it or just like quick conversation yeah, and hope expository you in the dialogue. Yeah. But um, you can describe it as that. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, was that part of, as you've talked about, there were times when you were working on scripture, like, oh, we need to put this here because that's going to happen here. Was that instance with her and, and, and Jean-Luc outside, a feder- I guess, Federation headquarters, for lack of a better expression, was that one of those where you're like, we need to show prime Rafi well, so when the resurrection occurs, people are like, I knew that woman. She's back. Yes. I mean, I th- yes. And I think, you know, what we had so much time to cover between the last time we saw Jean-Luc Picard, and when we see him again, um, his whole, what happened to him in the interval? What's he been up to? What's he been doing? Then we introduce all these other characters who the audience has never even seen before. Not only what have they been doing in the interval, but who are they? Where did they come from? And then interconnecting them with the larger, the larger TNG story and the canon. Of right. How do yeah. they fit into yeah. the whole big picture and all of that stuff? And so, you know, uh, it seemed flashbacks would are a great tool for that. And we try to really avail ourselves of them. But, but in choosing, you know, you still have to pick. Like, we can't do 47 flashbacks. We have to really only do one flashback about Rafi and Picard and their relationship. So what moment should we choose? Um, well, let's try to choose a moment that is has the most plot oomph to it that will help us fill in the viewer on what happened in the past. But but also, 
how could we frame that moment or how could we choose the actual scene in which that takes place in which that information is conveyed in a way that will also help hopefully convey the nature of the relationship between Jean-Luc Picard and Rafi um, because we want to say we're inventing this character that has a long-standing relationship with Jean-Luc Picard but if we just dropped her in you, you don't even know what that really means so yeah, we tried to choose the moments as flashbacks that were not just valuable from a plot point of view or or filling in the holes in the story point of view, but also would give us a chance to sell the narrative of the character herself and what we're trying to show about her or about Picard or whoever it might be. In terms of selling that narrative, Jason, I mean, one of the things in this episode is we really see Jerry Ryan's hero moment here. Um, from your point of view, in visual effects, how do you find that balance between really like, okay, I'm going to blow their minds visually, but I also am going to let this really good actor have her time and really let her shine as well as an actor? Sure. I mean, I, I think, it, you know, first and foremost, it's about the story. It's not about the spectacle that we can create, right? There's, there's, it's very. That's so rare to hear a VFX person actually say that. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it's. I mean, look, some, some. No, really, and I don't mean that in disrespect to the industry. I mean, just like that's your job. So it's when someone says, "Actually, it is," we want another and, job, and, and it's always like a balance. Like there are times where you you have an idea, and you're like, you know, what we could do here, and it's some um, it's something that would be so over the top, it's not going to really serve the story. I think in that particular case, especially with acting, which means Michael said yes. He's like, yeah, we should do that. Totally. <laughs> but I, but I mean, it's a performance-based moment, right? Most of that is performance-based. It's character-based. So for us, it's you know, we we help we have to help inform the story by placing the holograms in there for her to you know, interact with and the the tubes that come down and, and and sort of link to her. But other than that, it, it really is about the performance. So for us, it's 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 about being subtle and just making sure that we're in step with the, you know, what it's supposed to be totally from Michael's perspective. You know, you guys, you, you did, you did a really impressive job with Jerry. I mean, I actually think you've done a very impressive job with, a, with all the legacy characters, but that's hard to do. A lot of times on shows when there's a revival or something, bringing back older characters, there's a, sometimes a cringe inducing part of it. It's like, did they just clearly brought them back? Cause like they just, they, it was a payday. It was a nice thing. They threw them in. This was something I thought she was gone. And now she's back, and she really was back now. What is what is that like? And what was that like working with her in terms of that? Because I mean, she's she that woman is on like she is a full on as a human being. So to bring this character, see, I mean, I, I always loved the character of Seven of Nine on Voyager. Um, I I understood when I was watching Voyager in first run that in addition to her, um, you know, incredible physical beauty, what I was responding to in the character of seven was the performance itself. Like what, uh, you know, uh, maybe having grown up, uh, watching Leonard Nimoy play Mr. Spock and Brent Spiner play data. You know, I had the understanding that to, to play a character whose emotions are, uh, limited or restrained or who ha in the case of seven, who has a, has a, 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 a problematic relationship to her humanity that, that, what might seem expressionless, quote unquote, is actually an actor working really hard to convey the illusion of expression, expressionlessness through being expressive. So, you know, I understood there was a good performance going on there, but I didn't realize until we, I saw her on the show and we brought the character back and we proposed to Jerry Ryan that now you are older, you have lived longer, you have been through more experiences. Voyager was a long time ago. Um, and watching what she did with that and the nuance of her performance, the tiny details, very similar to Patrick in a lot of ways that I've always noticed about Patrick that, you know, he can act with like one muscle in his face, 
you know, he moves like one part of his cheek and, and a whole emotion of emotional vector of the scene changes. And Jerry has that ability to just, she's such a gifted actor. And I don't think I quite understood that until I watched what she could do in this part. So by the time we have her come back in this episode, I mean, we just knew she could do anything. And um, she's a complete professional too. I mean, she just stepped onto the set every day and seemed to know exactly how she wanted to do things. And, and it always worked beautifully. She's really fun to be around. She's a fun person. It's, it was a, it was a thrill to have her to work with. And, you know, we're, she's, we're having her back. So we're going to wrap things up for today. Uh, We're moving clearly towards this two part finale. And I don't, again, I always say there's no spoilers, but I do want to ask both of you and clearly you're going to come at it from different places. I'll start with you, Jason. How satisfied are you with how this season went and how it ends? Uh, very satisfied. Um, I I think scale of one to ten, probably ten. I think nice. I, in terms of the, out of your comedy for the for the work that we've done and and the team that I have is incredible. I think this is the best we've we've put out thus far. The work that we've done and the, the work that the vendors have done and the artists around the world. Like I'm really proud with the quality of the work. Um, not that I'm not the other things, but there's something just very satisfying. I mean. Obviously, contributing to the story is is a huge part for us. And but but we 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 were given the time that we needed, we the tools that we needed, and I, I really think it shows up on screen. And and we're we're real proud of it for sure. Mr. Shavon? Uh Well, I will also give Jason and his team complete ten for what they've done. Um, from my point of view, Gold medal. Um, I'm a hundred percent satisfied with the level of our commitment to making the show um the best that we could make it um you know i i've never had the experience in my life as a writer of feeling satisfied with what i've actually done in terms of no i mean the the thing that you envision when you first begin to envision the story whatever that's going to be is perfect and and from the moment you move from that envisioning to actually making all you're doing is fucking it up so um when i'm finished with a novel or short story or whatever it might be i don't actually want to ever look at it again or see it again because i feel like all i'll see is all the ways in which it didn't measure up to what that initial shining mirage of perfection was when i first anticipated doing it um so it's you know it's that's just an inevitable part of my process but um in terms of how much we talked to each other and how much we planned and how much we thought about it and how hard we worked and how flexible we turned out to be when when new opportunities arose and when it you know became possible to have Marina Sirtis, for example, but only within this four day period because she was doing a show in London and we couldn't get her before and we couldn't get her after. So that meant we had to move this part of that block into that block. And, you know, in terms of our being able to sort of rise to the occasion and roll with things, um, you know, and to try and to do all that in the service of creating a Star Trek show that is Star Trek and tells a good story and gives these incredible performers opportunity to do things that I don't think either they or knew uh, or we knew they were going to be able to do in the course of the season. For example, with 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 uh, Santiago Caprera and his performance as the multiple holograms, um, which you see in this episode, like all of that stuff that I'm satisfied with in terms of the um, what we brought to it. I'm satisfied with what we ended up with. I think you can always do better. Always. If you don't think you could do better, then I guess you 
retire. Can I change my 10 to a 9? <laughs> Not that, but I will tell you this. You know, I get a lot of emails from people from the podcast. And, and one of the things, you know, and there, there, there are various types. And most of them are criticizing me, rightly so. Um, but one of the things that people talk about again and again is they kind of dreaded this. When Patrick stepped on stage in Vegas, they're like, oh, it's not going to It's not gonna be. And, and perhaps this is the sort of people who just take the time to email. But they almost universally say, I fucking love this show. You know, I, I love what they've done and I love how they didn't just recycle Jean-Luc back onto the Enterprise, et cetera, et cetera. But they, they showed me a man and they showed me a story as well as a legend. And I think, you know, I'm a TV critic. I, this is what I do for a job. Michael, that's pretty high praise. It is. And I'm really, that makes me happy to hear. I mean, on the other hand, we had no choice in a sense. Like Patrick Stewart is... 80, 79 years old, you know, he, he's a different, just as we all are, we, you're a different person 20 years l- later, whatever, however old you might be than you were 20 years ago. So there was like, there were these essential facts, physical facts, um, facts, what you see in his face, Patrick's face, I mean, what you see in his eyes. And then if you tra- take that and you think, well, what has happened to Jean-Luc Picard? What's happened to Riker? What's happened to Troy? Where are they in their lives? It, it, it could never be the same. If it were, it would be a lie, right? It wouldn't be true to life at all. So, you know, it was a given that we had to work with. I think the important thing was, I, I, I think, is that we embraced it. You know, we just embraced the, 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 the thing that was forced on us just by life, by circumstance, by time, we incorporated from the from the beginning was built into the kind of story that we were telling, which therefore could never be a story like we've ever seen before on Star Trek because Star Trek's never done that before. It's never had the chance to do that. I mean, maybe bringing Kirk back in generations, you know, they, they were sort of grappling with some of those same issues. Um, I don't think the embrace was as um, quite as uh, full in that sense, um, as what we have done here. But, you know, it's, it's, we, we try to make the most of what we had and what we had was so incredibly powerful and, and rich and, and, and timely. And, and, uh, you know, and we had this amazing performer, one of the greatest actors of our time, um, who could do anything. You can't really end better than that. That's a perfect ending. All right. You get 10 out of 10 for it. (laughs) Thank you. Well, that's the end of talking about Episode 8, Broken Pieces, on today's podcast. Thanks for listening to the Star Trek Picard podcast, and get ready as we go into the next two weeks for the two-part finale. But until then, as you know, and when we get to those finales, you can always listen to the podcast every week on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like getting your podcasts. Until then, see you next time. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.